0: We think about those senses that we all have. We have eyes to see, we have ears to hear. We're able to touch, to feel, and as we just lit the fourth candle of Christmas today, we have the opportunity to to tell it, to speak it, to announce it, to. Remember it, as Eric Mears has reminded us today. We know those familiar Christmas stories. There's really only two of them. You have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only Matthew and Luke contain the proper Christmas story as we would think of it. Luke 2 would be the one that we all gravitate toward because Luke 2, 1 to 20, tells in breathtaking language that story, the shepherds of Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 2 likewise tells the Christmas story, but from a little different perspective. He, he tells it from the vantage point of the wise men, the kings who came from afar. You look at their chronology and you realize that Luke 2 records the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2 speaks of the visit that the Magi made to him when he was at least coming up on two years of age. You remember that it was Herod who ordered the massacre and the slaughter of the baby boys in Bethlehem, trying to wipe the slate clean, trying to make sure he had all the bases covered and destroying the one he thought would threaten His authority and his throne. Mark is in such a hurry to tell the story of Jesus, he skips Christmas altogether. Not that it's not important to him, but you look at Mark's gospel and where does he begin? He begins when Jesus is 30 years of age and he's being baptized in the River Jordan. And it only takes him 16 chapters before Jesus is nailed to a cross and has conquered death. It takes Matthew 28 chapters to tell that story. It takes Luke 24 chapters to tell that story. But it's the Gospel of John that gives us one of the most amazing perspectives on Christmas. For John's Christmas story is found in the first chapter, I believe verses 1 to 18. You won't find it listed among the Christmas passages in devotional books. We do hear its message in the great music of Christmas, though, the words of the carols that we sing, many of which are founded upon the truths that we find in John chapter 1. But in my way of thinking, it's almost as though Matthew, Mark, and Luke most of the time tell us, they record an event that happens. They tell us the facts. It's John who many times will tell us what it means. He'll interpret it for us. All of the Gospels have Jesus feeding the 5,000. Really, it was more like 10,000 because that was just the men. The women and the children weren't in that 5,000 count, but they were there. All four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell of the amazing miracle where Jesus gave thanks and took one boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish and turned it into a feast that fed thousands. But it's John who not only tells it, But then he has Jesus standing up and saying these words, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus begins to explain why he fed thousands of people on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so it is with the Christmas story. Matthew tells it. Luke tells it. We have the facts. We can act it out. We see it. We can envision it. If you've ever been to Bethlehem, stood in that place where the hillside drops off steeply and the shepherds, no doubt, were watching over their flocks by night. We have all the facts, but it's John who tells us what it means. He adds to it. Look what he says. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, granted, that's much different than in the same region there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. Much different than the governor, Quirinius, calling for a census, and Mary and Joseph left their town of Nazareth where they lived and made their way to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, where Christ would be born. John tells us what Christmas means. Think with me for just a moment about What he tells us the real message of Christmas is. You notice that most translations, when it says in the beginning was the word, it's a capital W O R D. That's an interpretive choice that translators make to make word capital W because they rightly interpret the fact that in this passage, though in the manuscripts of the Greek New Testament, All of the words are lowercase or all of the words are uppercase depending on which manuscript family it comes from. No punctuation in those manuscripts. It's a painstaking endeavor to even come up with the words that we have in our English Bibles and we owe a debt of gratitude to people who spent their lives translating those documents for us. But everyone who translates John 1 beginning in verse 1, especially reading through verse 5, knows that Word is capital W because it represents not just something spoken, not just a concept to pledge your life to, but it identifies a person. It identifies Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He is the capital W-O-R-D. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You see what what John is telling us? He's using language that is so familiar to those of us who've read the Scripture because if you turn to the very first book of the Bible, the very first words of the Scripture in the Old Testament, it's what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you have that wonderful display of the creation of all things from God. And here, John says, in the beginning was the Word. He says, if you want to know The real identity of the word of capital W-O-R-D that you will travel with me all the way back to the beginning. When every philosopher that's tried to go back through time, they hit a wall, they hit a door, they hit a barrier, and they can't break through it. And they draw all these conclusions that are erroneous. And they try to come up with some logical explanation for why anything that exists, exists. Where was its beginning point? And John says, to the eyes of those who have faith, what do we need to be telling people? We need to tell people, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, Jesus is there. In the beginning... From the very outset, the mind of God and the Spirit of God that moved upon the waters, you find all three of those facets of God as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit, right here in the beginning of all things. You see, Jesus didn't just come into this world as an afterthought. He didn't just begin when he was born in Bethlehem. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So the heart and the mind and the love of a father who is trying to bring his disobedient creation back to him, it all begins when you go all the way back to the beginning and you see that in God's creation, the Word, Jesus, was there. And when our ancestors, Adam and Eve, made a choice that we have all followed in their choice to disobey, that God set into motion a plan of redemption that centered around his son, who did come in the form of a baby, who did come born in a manger, who was limited in that body for that period of time, but never, never think that Jesus was created just as an afterthought. He is one and the same with God. So what does that mean for our lives today? It means that Jesus is the Word. He is from the beginning all the way through to the end, to eternity. John portrays Jesus not only as the Word, but as the life. You find there it says, in Him was life, verse 4. So Jesus is not only the supreme incarnate word of God, the message of God. Whatever God wants to convey to his creation, he has conveyed it through Jesus. That's why we give him homage. That's why we have this room decked out in purple. Because we're claiming kingship and lordship, king of kings and lord of lords, to the glory of God through Jesus. He is the living word, but he also is our life. John tells us what this means all the way through his gospel. Because, see, if you just look at it from the, the physical point of view, what do you have to have to sustain life? In my mind, I think, and I didn't do too well in biology, but I learned four things that you had to have to sustain life. You need light. You need the sun. You need air. You need water. And you need sustenance. You need food. And you see where John begins in his gospel. And what does he tell us from the outset? He said Jesus provides life because he is the light of the world. The Holy Spirit breathes life, sustains air. Into our spiritual beings. Jesus is the air that we breathe. He is our all in all. His very breath gives us life. So he not only provides the light. He not only provides the air. But he provides what? Water. Jesus himself. In later chapters of John's gospel. Jesus says I am the living water. If you will come unto me all who are thirsty. If you thirst come unto me. And When you partake of my life, when you're related and connected to me, then out of your innermost beings will flow what? Rivers of living water, he says. And you got to have food. Jesus said after that great miracle, told us what it meant when he said, I am the what? I am the bread of life. He told his followers when he took the Passover, the final Passover of his life, he took the cup and he took the bread and he had them consume it again. And what did he say about that bread? He said, when you eat this bread and take it, you will be reminded of my what? My body that is broken for you. So Jesus is our life. That's what Christmas means. That's what John is telling us. The Bible's not a science book, but when it comes to this analogy, what do we find in Jesus? We find in Jesus all that we need. Just as physical life is sustained by light, by air, by water, by food, the coming of Jesus, the Word of God, gives us what? He is our light. He breathes into us the breath of life. He gives to us the living water. He provides with us our sustenance, the food, the very Word of God. Jesus is not only the Word. He is not only our life. He is the ultimate light. The light that draws people out of the darkness into the light. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 is called a forerunner of Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. He hit the ground running just ahead of Jesus. But when John talks about his life, when he talks about any light he has to shed on any subject, where is it always pointing? It's always pointing to Jesus. If the disciples learned anything in those three and a half years they spent with Christ, they learned what? They learned to direct people to Jesus. For he is the ultimate light. And all light that is meaningful, all light that has any purpose in it whatsoever, is going to be a light that directs us to the ultimate light, to Christ. So you see, when you take John chapter 1 and just read the first opening verses, no, you don't get the shepherds, you don't get the sheep, you don't get the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. But you get what it means. And you find that if you miss out on Jesus, you miss out on it all. It's the 14th verse where I say we find Christmas in black and white. Look at this verse. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, you may say, Stephen, what do, you, what do you mean Christmas in black and white? Well, you, you know the difference between... Well, let me show you. Here's a, here's a color picture. Okay, that's of two of our six grandkids a long time ago. You've got Beckham on the left and you've got Lawson on the right. And... You got a lot of green grass in the background. It's beautiful, but look at it in black and white. Now you see that Lawson isn't real happy. You see, when something's in full vibrant color, you you see what you see the beauty of it. You see, uh, your eyes are drawn to the color. Your eyes are drawn to the beauty of the picture. And whoever took that picture was a great photographer. It happened to be me. And whoever, just kidding, but if you if you look at someone who's, who makes their living making photographs, you'll see that it's one thing to see something in color, but then when you turn it into black and white, it's much more stark. It's much more... Raw, if you will. In my way of thinking, it, it, it accentuates, it it crystallizes, it summarizes. And when you don't have all the colors to ooh and are you, you see something that maybe you miss. Christmas in black and white. What people spend verses and chapters describing. Not that there's some, anything wrong with that. There isn't. But when John says, You want to really know what it's like? Here it is. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is Christmas in black and white, my friends. When you get it right to its essence, when you look at it with everything else, all of the not necessarily the tinsel. But you look at all of the, the details that surround the coming of the Christ child, when you read all of the elaborate language, and when you look at all of the truth, and you try to bring it all down to what it really means, John says, the Word, the person, Jesus, became flesh. He became like you and me. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. And he says, we saw His glory. We, we misinterpret that word. Glory was always related in the Old Testament to experiencing God's presence. You know, we think glory as glory, glory, hallelujah. We sing that. Or we think of the glory of God. And we, we we sometimes just use it as a descriptive word for God. He is glorious. Or we glorify Him. But the Old Testament mindset, the people who first heard that word and experienced it, it always was we experience God's presence. And where did they experience it in the Old Testament? First and foremost, in the tabernacle. Then it was in the temple. For us today, it's through His church. And I don't mean just a building, but it includes that. We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten for the Father. You want to experience the presence of God in your life, then you must go to the Word. You must go to Jesus. You must... Accept His grace and truth in your life. Christmas in black and white. For you see, all those things in the Old Testament, the law, everything that God demanded, let us know what? Let us know that we were rotten, that we were sinners, that we were lost. But when the Word came, and we experienced the glory of God, the presence of God in Christ then we begin to see that what the law said we could never do, Jesus did for us with grace and truth when he died upon the cross. See, that's what Christmas means. On April the 14th, 1993, Don Calhoun, his life was changed. If you go Google Don Calhoun, you're going to find a recounting of a story, a true story, from 20 years ago. Don Calhoun grew up south of Chicago in Bloomington, Illinois. He had been to two Chicago Bull basketball games in his life, and he went to the third one on April the 14th. 1993, When he walked in with the mass of 18, 20, 000 that were coming to see the likes of Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen and all those players, if they're familiar to any of you, you'll know the excitement in a game like that. But one of the representatives from the Chicago Bulls picked out Don Calhoun to attempt the shot. There was a promotional going through the Chicago Bulls basketball Uh, league just for uh, publicity and they would choose one person at random in each one of these games to attempt a shot during a timeout in the third quarter from 79 feet you would stand at the free throw line on the opposite end of the court and heave the ball three quarters of the way three quarters of the court and if you made it in the basket you got a million dollars don calhoun was chosen april 14, 1993 to make that shot. He was chosen, the lady who picked him said, because he had on these gold suede hiking boots that had vibram soles that wouldn't scar up the floor. That was one of the main reasons she picked him. <laughs> and she gave him advice. She said, Don, said you got all the way till the timeout in the third quarter. You've got to be down here at this time to attempt the shot. Let me just tell you, 18, there have been 18 bricklayers, brick throwers. You know what a brick is. It's when you miss the rim completely said, 18 guys, 18 people have tried this. We picked 18 people. You're number 19. No one has even hit the rim yet. That's a lot of encouragement to you, isn't it? But you know, if you've read the story, that at the timeout in the middle of the third quarter of the Chicago Bulls-Miami Heat game on April 14, 1993, he took the advice of the girl that chose him, the representative, and said, everyone that even got close just heaved it like a quarterback throwing a football, and he did it. And it switched, and he won a million dollars. He made five dollars an hour at the office depot store in South Bloomington, Illinois, and he walked away with the guarantee of fifty thousand dollars a year for the next 20 years. If memory serves me right, he 's going to get his last payment this year. fifty thousand dollars for 20 years. that was 1993. Coming up in 2013, he's going to get the last installment. He talked about how it changed his life, and it did. But he was back at work three days later. Why? Because they've been good to me, he said. And everyone slapping his back, Michael Jordan coming over to him and, you know, patting him on the back and screaming and yelling because it was just amazing. in his mind, as he's quoted even now, and maybe they'll do a 20-year redo of what's happened to this guy. What I can tell from the accounts that I see of him is he simply thinks that a decision he made and a random choice of him, in one moment, it changed his life. And for 20 years, he's lived on the reward of that choice, of that luck. And we sit here today and we look so casually at the message of Christmas where it's not luck or happenstance. And God isn't just looking for someone to pick out of a crowd and say, I'll give you a chance or I'll give you a shot. But when we commence that relationship with the living Lord, the benefits, the reward... It's not for 20 years. It's not for just a certain period of time. But it is forever. That's what Christmas means. That's why Jesus came. So where do you find it this year? Where are you in your life? Are you wanting to get through these holidays and forget? Or will you remember that when surrounded by family, by church family, when you live in a world where God is still on the throne, when you're connected with a family tree, if you will, that goes all the way back to the beginning, that's what Christmas means.
1: The family car, we barely fit. Christmas time had come again, bundled up to fight the freeze. Picking out the family tree, we decorate. Clumsy hands and hope that Santa comes again. And in the morning, wake to see gifts beneath the family tree. And I don't know where I'm going. But I do know who I'll be Whose memories and names like leaves all hang On us, the family tree We're older now We all have changed but we all laugh at the same old things We'll spend the night with memories Gathered around the family tree And I don't know where I'm going But I do know who I'll be Memories and names like leaves all hang on us. We're so much more than blood, we're more than names. We're bound by bonds that only God sustains. But this time of year we'll gather here and I'll always No I'm home. There are voices now where silence was the subtle signs of growing up where one is born, another leaves. Branches on our family tree.
0: Father, we ask you to bless our lives this Christmas. We ask you to help us keep our focus this Christmas we ask you to fill our hearts for we come to you knowing that the living word of God, Jesus the Christ, came and was born and died and rose again that we might live. So, Father, help us to know that that relationship transcends all heartache, all sorrow, all awkwardness. Thank you for including us as branches on your family tree. In Christ's name we offer our prayer. Amen. We close our service this morning with a time of commitment, time of invitation. For it well could be that someone in this very room, you've yet to say yes to the claim of Christ upon your life. We're going to have ministers and deacons standing here in the front to receive you, to help you, to pray for you. If this is a decision you've been putting off, it's one that you want to make today, what a better time, couldn't be a better time to profess your faith in Christ than on Christmas Eve Eve here at our church. Maybe you know the Lord, just never told the world, come profess your faith in Him. Maybe you've never followed Him in believer's baptism like Chloe Brown did at the beginning of our service. That's what God is leading you to do, and that's His command, it's His it's His desire that we identify with Jesus in Believer's Baptism. If you've yet to experience that but are willing, come and tell us. We'll find an appropriate time. Maybe God would lead you to join this church today. Maybe this is where you need to belong. Maybe this is a place you attend faithfully, but you need to make it official. You need to become an active, involved participant in the life of your church and then for many people here wherever you are in life whatever issue you face the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth however that translates into action into obedience in your life it will be different for all of us some would be the same but if you pray and ask God to lead you, He will. He always does. That's our invitation. We stand together, we sing. Once you step out, come forward right now.